Welcome in, everybody, to the Bare Knuckle Recovery Podcast. As always, I'm Tommy Streeter, along with Nate Mollering. And as you can see, we have two new guests today. We've got Cody Knuckles and John Humphreys from Cody and John Speak. So basically, Cody and John spend a lot of their time going into schools, uh, doing motivational speaking, talking with the kids. They talk about fentanyl awareness a lot, um, and they're making a huge impact in their community. So we wanted to bring them in and give them the opportunity to share a little bit about who they are, um, why they do what they do, and how they started. So if you guys are ready, we'll just jump right into it. Yep. Yeah, so 2021, we got invited to uh, speak at five local Wabash County high schools um, through a DCS program. And at that point, um, everything just kind of kind of took off from there. Um, we speak on fentanyl awareness and really the power of choices and decisions. Uh, a little bit for me, uh, I speak on the power of choices and decisions a little bit more. Uh, with my history and my background and the the multiple years that I spent in prison, um, John comes on a lot in the back end with more of the fentanyl awareness and just the dangers um, that we're facing today is not only adults, but our youth. What led up to that in 2021 for of you two getting at, right? It was both of you. What led up to that moment where you got asked to come speak in those five schools? We, I was at a drug court conference in Washington, D.C., and uh, Julie Hobbs uh, was there with us, and she had kind of – I was sitting at a table with some people, and they kind of asked me what my story was. So I gave my testimony and, you know, talked about how I got sober and got custody of my daughters and all of that stuff, and um, I think that story had an impact on her. So they were doing this um, anti-drug coalition type of thing in the community and she had got a hold of me and me and Cody have um since he's got out of prison basically like worked together on projects we kind of had somebody introduce us and you know anytime one of us went the other one did so it was like yeah I'm gonna um they were like do you have somebody to speak at like one of the schools I was like I got I think I got somebody to speak with together at all at all of them if you would like for us to do that and it kind of we were in a meeting and I think they were testing us out. So they asked us their, our stories and uh, maybe an audition. They didn't tell us that, but that's what it felt like. And that's kind of where instead of us speaking separately, it was like we can actually speak together. So Cody can, you know, tell, talk about his experience with, um, you know, one decision basically can change your whole life. And then on the back end, because they were concerned, it, it kind of worked out because they were concerned. They We don't want all these kids to think that, everybody that goes through this comes out on the other side and starts podcast or right. <laughs> becomes school teachers and stuff like that. So yeah. on the back end with my experience and having lost a few people, but um, you know, one young man that lived with us to an overdose, um, I just came on the back end and kind of told that story and they loved it. And that that's kind of how that got started. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about uh, both you guys, your backgrounds and, you know, your lived experience, which really qualified you guys to go speak to these kids. You mentioned a little bit, but just tell us a little about both your stories. Yeah. So I battled uh, drug addiction for just over 12 and a half years, uh, did a little over 11 years in prison. And during that time, um, some of the stuff that I seen and went through uh, just learned life experience um, has been able to really translate. And I think what we've realized is the kids really appreciate somebody that has been there. Um, not somebody per se with 
a degree or took some classes, like we kind of just come in and we're raw and we just truly give them our life stories. And we've got a ton of positive feedback on just the, the, the authenticity of it and just us being real and the kids really have been able to uh, grab onto that and, and give them something to like a real picture um, has been painted that way. And I think that's, it's really been a lot of success for us. Yeah. I mean, my experience is I was in active addiction for 17 years. I think the first time I had a drink, I was addicted. And I think the first time I smoked weed, I just, that's my personality. Um, and I just lived sometimes out of cars, bad relationships, toxic, you know, just toxic thief, all of those things. And at one point, just, I had, uh, I had two daughters and I had to I think I was going through some spiritual stuff, but I know that I was like really hurting and um, I was tired of myself, but I didn't really know what to do. And I had some friends that were getting a hold of me about um, faith stuff, the Bible, everything like that. And it was all silliness to me at the time. Um, but when I had to move away from the girls, I was just so broken that um, I just called out to, you know, a God I didn't believe in. It was like, I need something. I've tried everything. And, you know, with that encounter, I just got sober and started living that life and just doing the next best thing that I could and stopped letting stuff get to me. It was like, I'm just going to live and do the best I can. And eventually I ended up getting custody of my daughters and getting, a you know, my peer support certification and um, telling people, anybody that would listen, I've basically told my story to. And um, that's, you know, that's kind of where we're at now is still just trying to share the message, whatever it looks like. It's a little different in schools than it would be in like a church. But um, there's just, and I, me and Cody had a conversation before all this started because we get invites to talk at places, but it was like, what would it be like, this is before any of it happened, to get to the youth, you know, dealing with the, the, the grownups. You guys know this is hard. You know, and uh, we had that conversation. We we're like, we don't know what it looks like. We're not youth pastors. You know, we don't really have a field to get into to help. And then all that came about. And it's been, I mean, I think I'm speaking for both of us, just like a, it's been mind blowing, but also um, so rewarding to deal with them either before or at the beginning stages of life and um, all the challenges that they're about to face, you know, with that type of stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of alluded to something earlier that the first time you had a drink, it was something you'd never experienced, right? I always mm -hmm. tell people that first time I tried substances, I had like a semi-spiritual experience. You know, I was like, oh, this is it. Yeah. This is the moment. So do you feel like your life changed from then on? You saw it go a different direction that you never intended it to go. Like it just kind of pulled you that way. And then also on the back of that, then is that kind of what you guys try to prepare kids for and say, hey, look, if you try or you have tried it, it's probably going to feel good. Yeah, you know? yeah. And it may be good times for a little bit, but <laughs> it'll right. take you places you never you never meant to go. Yeah, well, I don't think anybody ever told me, like when they, it was always that somebody would bring a pill. Right. And they'd say, this is what this does in you. an exciting way, yeah. in a good way. Yeah. You know, but then when you try to get off of it, mm -hmm. then they're like, oh, you can't do that. You know, right. you're going to be on the toilet. There's nothing sexy about it anymore. Now yeah. it's. Um, and it's like that when I went to the clinic, you know, people be in line like, oh, this is so great. And then it's like when you talk about getting it off, we go, oh, 
You right. cannot like stop this. So, uh, and for me, I, I remember like having a drink. I, I remember that real clearly. And it was just like, I chose every bad thing possible after that. Anything that would cha- switch up my mind. I didn't have a ton of trauma in my life. I was just trying to find my identity and who I was. And I fit in in those places. But Every time, the first time I the first time I tried acid, it was yeah. like I got to do this all the time. That was just my personality, and I think with the with the, the 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 youth that we're talking to, we do say that, but it's also like it's not the same world. Yep. So everything that you do, and and with some of my, I worked with Core in Grant County. I still work with them, but we would do hospital responses, and there's teenagers in there thinking they took a half a Xanax and had to get Narcan back to life. And I think communicating that with them, and we're not a scared straight program. I think we're just kind of like real about like anything you touch this weekend. And you may think that you nobody cares, but people care because we get so confused. I think that's one of the things with me when I was a kid, I, the people that I wanted to love me or the people that I wanted to invite me to things didn't. So I felt maybe like I wasn't loved, which is a lie. You're loved. It's just, you're not getting yeah. it from those places. And a lot of these students that's what they're going through. Mom may not be around, you know, but grandma loves you. You have friends that love you. You're loved. Um, and so like, so for me, it's, you know, it was an identity thing, probably some kind of an issue, but with the students, it's communicate. There's so much to communicate since the pandemic. Like we're, I think that's why it's good. Both of us do it because he can kind of dig into, we want them to know that the decisions that they make, can you know hold so much weight but also you have a purpose because if i can show you that you you know you have a purpose and you need to protect that purpose and that vision you are less likely to do the stuff like you know some kids get a hold of us about hey i'm going to quit vaping we never even talked about vaping it's just like making all of the right decisions to get to that place once they believe they're valued yeah i think i think what i always try to convey to them is and i'm sure the four of us could all um, relate to this, like none of us took our first drink or used our first drug or uh, shot dope for the first time or whatever that looks like. None of us did that with the anticipation of being addicted. And what I really try to convey to the kids is like, there's not a moment where you look back for me that I'm like, that was the moment I became addicted. Like you'll look back and realize that your entire world has fell apart around you. And you don't really know. I didn't know when or how or like what that looked like. Um, But I'll speak to him on like, you know, in in the beginning, we think it's fun and we're hanging out with our friends and it's something we do on the weekends. And before I knew it, it was every day and through the week. And um, none of us started with the anticipation of becoming an addict. Right. And I think that's the danger, um, especially with the drugs kids are facing today and adults the same. Um, I, we, we use the word sometimes luxury. Like when we were in active addiction, we somewhat had the luxury of having to go above and beyond to overdose where today's youth or today's drugs in general, you don't have to, um, (laughs) you don't have to take much of anything and in a split decision or in a split moment, your, your life is over. I think every time we've gone, not sorry to interrupt you, but I think every time we've gone into a school, which is not nearly as much as you guys have, but that's one of the things that we always um, try to hit on is that, you know, luxury is a good way to put it. We had the opportunity to experiment with Mm -hmm. drugs when we were kids. If somebody gave you a pill and told you it was this or it was this, it was because nobody was making fake pills that were just full of fentanyl at the time. Right. Uh, 
And John, I like what you said about how you guys are not a scared straight program, because mm. if there's one thing we found is that scaring kids does not work. They don't can't, get scared. They think they're invincible. Them. That's not going to happen to me. Um, that's kind of how we saw the D.A.R.E. program yeah. fail. Is that's what it was. Sure. Is this police officer came into the school and he told you, yep. if you smoke weed or you drink, you're going to end up a homeless drug addict. You're going to go to jail. You're going to die. <clears throat> and then we are, you know, we start smoking weed, and it's been a few months, and nobody's gotten hurt. Nobody's gotten arrested. Right. So now we think that they're lying to us. Mm -hmm. You know, it just it didn't work. So that is one of the other things that we always say too is. You know, we're not even here to tell you not to do drugs or drink because we're not dumb. We know that a lot of you are going to. But this is what happened to us because we chose to make those. You know, those are the decisions that we made. So a lot of it does come back to exactly what you were saying as this is more about, you know, wise decision making. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah. one of the things that I always tell them is it's a lot easier to do the wrong thing than it is to do the right thing. It takes a lot less effort, a lot less energy, a lot less time to just go off and do whatever you want to do as opposed to putting in that time and effort and energy to make the right decisions. Yeah. yeah. And, and, the, and you guys are doing a lot of prevention work, which is great. You know, you want to get to them before they get started. But I think the scary thing now is that the stakes are so much higher. The stakes have always been high, right? Because young people can get addicted to drugs and alcohol and, and destroy their life slowly, right? This whole, you know, we all started using Cody alluded to it where you're having a good time then you wake up one day and all your accounts are overdrafted and you're dodging the police because you got a warrant right and you're like how the heck did i get here but anymore like almost kind of you're lucky if you get addicted and you don't die the first time you do it right the stakes mm -hmm. are i mean you're playing all or nothing right now right when kids are out here using these drugs yep. and that's really what you guys are trying to focus on with them right correct um we we truly try to convey that like you're you're playing roulette with your life every single time um, again, when we were using, we didn't have to worry about that as much. As Tommy said, with, with every, everything being stamped, um, we've heard cases of people overdosing from fentanyl being laced in a blunt. We've mm -hmm. heard it being laced in the Xanax pain medications. Um, they're literally putting it in anything and everything. And it's the, the scary pieces. It's, it's roulette with your life every single time. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think, you know, I think what everybody's always trying to figure out is, you know, what is the, um, how do you get kids to be at that point in their life where they're vulnerable? Cause we see, right. Like, and I see it too, unfortunately, when I go to a lot of funerals with the collage of pictures where, you know, at, there's a clear distinction in the photos from when you can see when they're a kid mm -hmm. and then they become a young adult. And you can just tell the nature of the photos changes, the clothes change, the looks change. And I feel like that's where we lose a lot of kids, right? Is in that shift from being the kid who's still willing to go out and have a campfire with grandpa and hang out with dad and all that stuff. Now, all of a sudden, that's not cool. And that's when they begin to kind of drift away and start to experiment with the drugs and alcohol. So, you know, how do you guys try to get to them? And, and, and what, what what's your guys' thoughts on that kind of that shift where we have to really get them before, we, before they even get started? I think... I think one of the things that we do really well is we're transparent. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm not like coming in. I've learned, I've learned this with speaking. Cody's the same way. I'm not coming in saying, Nate, Tommy, you guys need to do this. Right. Because I say, so it's like, I think when we were at Eastbrook, I was crying three minutes into talking. Yeah. You know, I'm looking out and that, that's a, that's close to home, but you see, you know, family members and kids, you know, whose parents are struggling and when they see that, I think it opens them up to at least have the conversation. Like, I'm not coming 
at you trying to tell you what to do. And I'm not coming at you. Like, I'm just telling you that your life has value, whatever that looks like. And you have a gift and you had dreams, you know, like whether you want to make music or be a veterinarian or paint pictures, you know, whatever it is, like think about those things and like getting to that place. Because right now, when we're young, we have these blinders on like this day is so important. Yeah. These people bullying me, the way I look, you know, the shoes, all of that, the shoes I'm wearing is all so important to you right now. It means nothing. You know, some of you are supposed to raise beautiful families that you don't even know those kids yet. Mm -hmm. Like this right here means very little, you know, in the grand scheme of what your life's going to be. And the and just the, you know, that like I said, with being transparent and that's in all of this, the recovery world. And when I've worked in it, like if I come in and I'm just trying to tell you, like, I have a story and. Um, when I've worked with the courts before, there's people you can't get through to. And then you go out and you talk to them. They're like, well, I'm just struggling with my girl's mom. Well, guess what? I can tell my story about my daughters and instantly a tough dude will be like, oh, so you've been through that too. The toughest dudes. So, so that's what I think we do really well. And then we talk to them after. And we don't ever have to worry about like losing sight of the value and the importance of what we're doing because they're coming up to us. This is high school kids, middle school kids. At the last um, one of the schools in Huntington, we asked them to raise their hands if they thought they had a purpose, and it was about 18 hands. Mm -hmm. Then we said, raise your hands if you've met, and this is a class of 500. Mm -hmm. Raise your hands if you know somebody that's overdosed 80% of the class. Absolutely. You know, so like they're, just the impact, that they, and, and they're going through a lot. They're really waiting for somebody to come in and be like, hey, I've been there. There's a way out. You don't have to live like this. They're almost waiting for it. Yeah. And the I think that's where so many parents are at a disadvantage. Like we got hit with the pandemic and all of these things. And, and these parents are, they don't know what to mm -hmm. say or do. Like, yeah, you can say drugs are bad, but like, how do I get through to my kids that literally like the, you know, you've seen it take on the tip of a pencil is enough mm -hmm. fentanyl for you to die. That means you're playing with your life on a couple grains of sand, basically. That's the size of it. And, and smoking weed, you can die, you know, and all of that stuff. But coming from a place of like, we want, we don't want to see that. Like, we love you. Yeah. We want to see you get your purpose. I think the best thing, and you're not going to get through to everybody, but every, every walk that we do, whether it's adults, kids, family members, is just to be transparent, you know? Yeah. I, I think kids are hungry for especially this generation and our generation too. I don't think we realized it, but they're hungry for purpose, for community, for leadership, right? Like I think the world is so um, you can be whatever you want to be. And like, there's all these options and the, there's really no truth, right? I think kids are hungry for truth, yeah. you know? And so you, you just give them like, Hey, there's no such thing as the truth. And they're kind of like, well, that's even more scarier than this being the truth, right? <laughs> you know, like that freaks people out. It freaks me out, right? But I can see it with the kids. Like it's like you said, they want somebody to be real with them and they want somebody to show them something that, you know, I think everything right now in our culture is so superficial mm -hmm. that they're not getting like for me, I know in my walk as a kid, and you know, you guys tell me what you think about this. I started using drugs partly because the way I felt about myself, I felt disconnected, but I felt disconnected from the world in the sense that I thought that all the bad things and the good things together were going to keep happening no matter what I did. I felt like I was meaningless in my existence. 
I didn't realize that I was the one someday who was going to be the adult. And you would say, well, duh, of course you're going to be. But when you tell a kid, you got to, you got to go to class and like, why? Because in four years you want to graduate. You're like, dude, that's four years. That's four years from now. That kid's 14. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's a, that's like a third of their life that they've already, you know what I mean? That's a huge thing. They can't even comprehend that. So I didn't even think about like, what I do matters because it didn't seem like it mattered. And society really didn't tell me that it mattered because it's like, if it feels good, do it. Right. So I think it's great. And you guys, what do you think about that? About kids are hungry for purpose. So to touch on, yes, I, I could not agree more. Here's where we are today. Today's youth are living in a world that none of the four of us, or maybe nobody in this building over the age of 25 has ever experienced. And what I mean by that is, like you said, when you started to use, you kind of felt lost. You didn't feel like you had a purpose. Imagine the four of us sitting back 25 years ago, feeling like that, to put ourselves in today's youth, put yourself into in, in a 15-year-old shoes today, and everything in this world is judged by clicks and likes and your social media presence. And in 2020, they shut the entire world down and... Then all of a sudden, um, everyone's isolated and they want us to, everything is over Zoom or over a telephone conference or do all these things. And then all of a sudden, the doors open back up and now you're supposed to put your phone up and you need to be present again. And so today's kids, um, you know, anywhere from seventh grade to 10th grade right now or ninth grade to 12th grade. They're so far behind socially mm-hmm. because of that lapse in their life that everything was done online and everything literally became about anything I post or no matter what we do, it's hitting the internet. You can't even have a conversation with somebody today without somebody else videoing it. And all of a sudden you're getting, you're getting posted. And what I try to explain to the kids is like, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know. I don't know how you got to where you are right now, but I can tell you what helped me. And back to the authenticity of it and the realism of it, the, the kids really appreciate just someone coming in and just being vulnerable. A lot of these kids have never had anyone look at them and just be real. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's a parent or a loved one, we're fluffing everything and we're trying to make everything sound perfect and kids aren't dumb. At the end of the day, they know what's going on. And if they don't know exactly what it is, they know something's going on. And when we come in and and we just literally tell them just our life. Like when I start a conversation, I'm like, listen, I don't have a degree. I don't, I don't, I've never read any books. What I'm just going to give you is my life and where my choices led me. And I just feel like the kids just relate to that. But again, it's it's a world we're living in that none of us have ever experienced. Mm. And the mental health aspect that maybe was there when we were kids, I think is so much more prevalent today. I think kids are dealing with so much more mental health awareness. And maybe when we were kids in the 90s that it it, you, it wasn't talked about as much, but so many kids we talked to, like, we were in Southern Indiana or Northern Kentucky and this girl comes up to me afterwards and she's like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit suicidal. And I'm like, okay, like why? 
Well, two weeks ago, my dad shot my mom in the face and now she's no longer here. And my dad's in prison for the rest of my life. Mm. And the, and the, the court systems are going to place me somewhere. And it's like, that's real life to her. You know, that is, it's, it's just so hard to wrap our minds around it, but I think anxiety and depression and mental illness is really pushing to the forefront of, of a lot of the use drug addiction. Yeah. And I mean, I think one of the things, one of the reasons that's become so prevalent is the isolation. You know, I think that community fixes a lot of things and that's what you're talking about. They're, they're socially, you know, set back. Yep. So then you don't have the traditional uh, layers of the community that you would have. I think kids just feel disconnected, not only from their peers, but from their parents and from their teachers and everybody else. And I think that's when you see things like depression and anxiety come out, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think <clears throat> what Cody was saying about, social media also um that plays a huge part in that how they're feeling disconnected as well that's a big part of the reason that they are feeling disconnected is because even when they are in a circle of people they're sitting there staring at their phone you know yep. they're on tiktok and twitter and whatever x you know, whatever it's called now yep. um and that's one of the things that we talk about also when we go into schools with remedy live yep and we do the get school tour again that's a huge that plays a huge role in the mental health crisis that we are facing because when they're on scrolling on TikTok and they're getting all those likes it's you know that's releasing dopamine in their brain so then when they stop their brain you know we've had we've talked about that a million times you can dive into it a little bit more if you want to but yeah. um that's definitely playing a huge part well i mean the deck is stacked against these kids in the sense that everything in the united states specifically is designed to uh cause dopamine spikes in your brain Mm -hmm. right like we live in a consumer society like every time you turn on the tv what like you know if you get it if you go get a big mac you're going to be happy you know if you buy a toyota your family's going to love you right like you know if you do this and that everything's going to be great and uh same thing like tommy said with tiktok and social media the algorithms are set up to the point where it creates dopamine spikes so that's what kids are leaning towards, right? So then it's just, it's an easy transition to a vape. Like, hey, when I'm feeling anxious or when I'm having a bad day or tired, you need to pick me up. I'm going to hit my vape. I'm going to drink my Red Bull or my uh, Mountain Dew. And then I'm going to go eat a pack of Skittles. And then they crash three hours later while they're in class. They can't focus and they don't want to, you know, then they become even more antisocial because they feel like crap, you know, and then it's not such a big transition. Then when you're like, Hey, try this pill. And they're like, man, when I take that pill, (laughs) I feel good. I don't have that crash from Mountain Dew or from, from the Skittles and my high is way better, you know? And then it continues on down the road, you know? Yeah. So true. Everything said it. When you walk into the gas station, what's Mm -hmm. up front? Right. Lottery tickets, tobacco, (laughs) the vape glasses, the, the hookahs, Mm -hmm. all of that stuff's up front. It is. So, so it's, it's never ending temptation when you when you had mentioned the purpose thing though Mm -hmm. i think that we get messages and and the kids will say um stuff like i decided to quit using today because that's what we're up against is like a lot of times they're like well do you really can you soften it for the middle schools we can but my question is when are they going to hear it because what they're facing right now many favors it's already there no and they Mm -hmm. handle it well and they interact with us well because it's real yeah just like you guys are saying that that's what they're searching for is they want somebody to come in and be honest with them yeah and just you know and tell them because they've they're experiencing it nothing i can say can take away their experience of Mm -hmm. losing a loved one to prison death whatever it is and the more we talk at these we we, um these schools will do these assemblies and the the, the last couple the line when we were in huntington we couldn't we had to split up Mm -hmm. 
because they were wanting to talk. And it was like my older brother overdosed, my best friend overdosed. And this is what they're dealing with already in school. And I think we'll get the messages sometimes that I decided to get sober. You made me realize how dangerous this is. But we're starting to get messages where the kids are like, I believe I have a purpose. And that right there, like when you're reading them, I do most of the social media reading and I'll screenshot and send to him. But you're sitting on the porch and you you're like you're in tears because you're like, that's that one, that one yep. saying, I believe I have a purpose here now when they didn't think that before is such a game changer Huge. to generations. And who knows that community or any place that they might go. Cycle breaker. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and it's the most, and, and that's what we're, you know, we try, we've tried so hard with these programs in the past, the war against drugs, like none of this stuff has worked no. because it's like, I need you, I need Tommy to believe that he has a purpose. And once he understands he has a purpose, he's going to be a lot more protective protective of his life and his stuff and his family and the people that he cares about yeah well we're waging a war on a symptom not the actual problem Mm -hmm. right the problem is they don't have a purpose and you hit the nail on the head i think you said this the other day when we were at lunch that you know somebody finding their purpose is going to be much more protective uh they're going to be much more protective of that than if they hear about the negative side effects, right? Because mm-hmm. like you can you can talk yourself out of having negative side effects, right? You're like, well, we all do it all the time, right? It's, it's our brain trying to protect us from harm. But when you have a purpose and it's something you do every day and it leads to fulfillment, which I think is what a lot of people are looking for, you know, and but they mistake those dopamine spikes with drugs and alcohol and everything else as fulfillment. Mm-hmm. But then when it wears off, you're what? You're more empty than you were before. But if you find purpose, it's not the case, right? You go home feeling good, and there's no crash from living out your purpose, right? And well, even when you crash and you're chasing your goals, like we all, everybody here has dreams. You know, when I'm chasing, I don't care, right? If it's a bad day, because this is, you know, I mean, I'm headed someplace, mm-hmm. and and going in and telling them all the bad stuff, like, oh, this is going to make you feel bad. That may work for a while, but what? What? One day they're going to wake up and be like, I feel bad anyway, right? <laughs> you, you know what I mean? So that was me. What do yeah. I have to lose? My friend said this can give me energy, or this can yeah. knock me out and I, I feel bad anyway so like me telling you how bad it is with no other ingredients in it is just eventually you're going to be like i feel bad i might as well have a drink i feel bad i might as well experience this stuff because i already feel like crap well and that's another thing is so you know you i'm sure you gotta talk about finding your purpose which is a great step but then protecting your purpose mm-hmm. by changing who you hang out with and the messages you take in you know i always tell people i had a great family And my family always told me that my purpose was, you know, to serve God and help other people. And I heard all that. But when I would go in my room and close the door for the other four hours of the night, I was turning on my rap music, listening to 50 Cent and Lil Wayne, right, Mm -hmm. watching gangster movies and stuff like that. So I wasn't protecting my purpose. I was you become what you consume, whether it's food, whether it's media, whether it's content online, it doesn't matter. So it's I mean, I'm sure you guys harp on that too. protecting your purpose, you know, not hanging out with those kids that are like, hey, we'll just take this. You'll feel better. But people that that are their mission aligns with yours. I don't think you could be more spot on uh, there. When I first got sober and first came back, I had no idea. You know, in recovery, you always hear people places things. Uh, I think it's it's common. I've heard it forever. I didn't understand what that meant. No one explains it, though. <laughs> it just keeps saying it. And you're like, okay, yeah. I got it. People places things, whatever. To, to me, it was I'm going to have to change where I live, the state I'm in. I'm going to have to go everywhere. And realization hit that it doesn't really matter where I'm at in this country or this world. If I choose to use or if I choose to go drink, um, I'm going to be able to do that wherever. You take yourself with you. Yeah. And what 
that's yeah, that's good. You take yourself with you. Um, what I tell the kids, uh, if you show me your friends, I can show you your future. And the kids are just looking at me like, well, so and so. And I'm, I don't, I don't think they fully grasp the concept of positivity breeds positivity and negativity breeds negativity. I'm working with a 21 year old right now that has just been in and out and just struggling and struggling. And every time he comes back from a rehab or jail, he goes right back to his parents' house and hangs out right back with the same kids. Yep. And we had a conversation last night. I was on the phone with him for two hours and I'm just like, I'm like, A, your mom's is your trigger, first and foremost. Yep. You have to get out of there. But B, how many times are you going to touch that stove that's on and burn yourself before you realize to not touch it? Yep. And I think I think that's what we deal with so often is we go to where, where we're comfortable. Nobody likes change. Change is hard. And I think, unfortunately, the world we live in today where everything is so soft and everything around us is so molded to whatever agenda is being pushed at the time yeah. that these kids, they grew up in a comfort zone. You can't even, right. they're, you're, as parents, we can't, there's certain things that we're not supposed to say to our kids anymore. You know, growing up, it was nothing to catch a backhand. And I'm not <laughs> saying that's what kids need by any means, but that's not even a part of society anymore. Yeah. And, and these kids have just been molded just so comfortable mm -hmm. that when they get with those bad friend groups mm -hmm. and when they get around those people that they don't need to be around, that's all they know. Right. Well, and I think a lot of people too don't, and I know for myself, people are just like, hang out, you know, my dad used to say, you hang out with the least common denominator. Like you always find the people that are the ones like doing drugs or that, that are on parole or probation. You hang out with them and you do what they do. But what he didn't understand was like, even if you put me around people that were doing something different, I never felt worthy. Mm -hmm. I always felt like I was a piece of garbage. And that was part of the reason I got high in the first place, right? Like when I was, uh, you know, when I got, when I got high, I felt like a little bit like nicer piece of garbage, still garbage, but a little nicer piece, right? Like something somebody could dig out of a dumpster or use perhaps. Right. Mm -hmm. But you know, I still felt bad. So like when I would go around people that were doing something, I felt like I didn't belong, but I think a lot of people, it's about realizing that you do belong there and that you can step up and you can be that person. And you touched on too, you know, a lot of people are soft. Now we talk a lot about feelings, I, I heard somebody say the other day, you know, like, we're always worried about offending people. But if you get offended, what happens? Literally nothing. <laughs> Other than you're offended, right? Yeah. And I think yeah. that is, I mean, and I always tell people that too, because there's a lot of people in the recovery community that focus on labels. And they're like, we need to say things a certain way. And I'm like, dude, if somebody calling you an addict or a junkie is going to derail you, you're going to have a tough life and you're probably never going to stay sober. So you got to let those things bounce right off you. You know, whatever happened to like sticks and stones, break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah. That's true. And I think that's a lot to do with perseverance is what we're talking about. So if you surround yourself with people that are also big on perseverance and willing to walk through hard things and, you know, people are going to tell you that you're a piece of crap, even when you get your life together for a long time before you actually show them. And, you know, what I always tell people, they have the right to because people treat you how you train them. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand it's a little bit different. Like, you know, you grew up in a piece of house. You didn't deserve that. But if people won't let you come to their house or they hide your purse when you come over, it's probably because you stole from them or you stole from somebody they know. Yeah. But if you hang around those people that are doing better things, then your reputation starts to improve. You start to believe and you start to do the things that they're doing. We One time I got into a heated discussion because I had said I had been clean for a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. And I had some people that I was working with, not even recovered, like, you can't say that. But I can. Yeah. 
because like I did it. Mm-hmm. And not only that, my people that come from the same place as me, they call it clean too. Right. It's not a reference to whatever you're thinking, but a lot of times we have people who have, um, and there's, you know, it takes all of these things to have a healthy, you know, community of recovery. Mm-hmm. But if you haven't lived it, mm-hmm. don't tell me what to call it. Right. You, you know what I mean? And that because we celebrate, so we can't celebrate when somebody says I've been clean because it's not sober. In my world, sober is usually alcohol. Mm-hmm. Like that's what we always, sober, I'm not, you know I mean? Yeah, I'm off alcohol, but like I'm clean. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things with like some of the stuff. And I'm all for like the reduction you know, the stigma reduction and sure. everything like that. But we do get a touch and people get offended. And it's like, it's not even, you, you haven't, li- you're, you're not in recovery trying right. to tell me how to talk to, or how uh, us the, that are in recovery to talk. And yeah. the other thing about this whole, with social media and all of these things, I used to be the same way. It was like with these younger kids, is this ride or die? These are my people mentality. Right. And you try to tell them, I promise you, as soon as you get locked up, they're going to be trying to talk to your girl. You'll have or zero money. Yeah, they'll be telling on you. or But you, they're not going to put money on your books. You know what I mean? And then you'll get out and they're like, oh, yeah, I posted free my homie. But yeah, but you right. did. But you tried to holler <laughs> at his girl. You know, and, and Cody tells this story about when he overdosed and, and they threw him in the shower. And he's like, they saved my life. But then they left. You, you get what I'm saying? So you can look at it and be like, that's a perspective thing. Cody yeah. can be like, oh, I have the best friends ever. They saved my life. But they left they you there. Gone. And we've seen it. We've gotten calls while we were in the car together that a friend overdosed and died. And they did not take him to the hospital while he was overdosing. They threw him in his mom's front yard. And that's happened over and over again. And it's like the, the people around you, you can say whatever you want. Um, about like being right or die, like there is no honor in that, and there is a level of of loyalty that makes you stupid. Yeah, you know that, and and that's the type of stuff we're talking about. If you're rolling around with people, and we have relationships now with our friends, like I know that I can get a hold of Cody anytime I need anything or I need to talk or anything like that. But if you're living in that world and like, yeah, me and my boys, and they're like, you put so much on that, like check your circle because right. that's you become one with who you run with, and they're the same ones that will. Like literally my friends thought they were rolling with people that that had their back and they'll throw you in your mom's yard. Mm -hmm. And that's a sad freaking truth. They'll leave you like the hospital. We have all these laws now to where you can call and get people Narcan, you know what I mean? Like, and you can stay there. Yeah. And then you're still not doing it right? because your friend's life is not worth more than you getting a, a probation violation well, or it comes between you and your dope, which mm-hmm. is, which is, I mean, I'm, I'm, my dope became a higher power. Mm-hmm. It was, it didn't matter what was going on. I had to get high so I could think. Yep. And you can die. Right. And you, you can lay there and die yep. because I'm not, I'm not, I'm not tossing my stuff. Well, I always told people that like the, the people you get high with, they will step over your dead body and they'll check your wallet as they do. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? As they're on the way out the door, so they can get more dope. Like they'll be mm-hmm. sad for a minute. You know, but they're not gonna they're not gonna get clean because of it and dedicate their life to you. You know what I mean? Like they don't care. And it's not because they're bad people; it's because they're screwed up too, right? Like most people, it's are all issues. Up. I'm not bad mouthing no, this group not. at all. I think it's just that's the world we live in, right? That's my expect. If I'm using with you, my expectation is if I you're gonna, me, you're gonna be gone. you're gonna clean my wallet out. Yeah. You're, you know what I mean? You yeah. don't you have no you're not gonna be checking on my family. Like I understand. Like the agreement that we have is we're getting high together is yeah. you'll rob me. Even if I nod out and I'm not dead, right. I'm probably going to get my stuff taken. But yeah. that realization that the four of us all share mm-hmm. 
on the outside, that has to sound like the craziest thing. Oh, I'm sure it does. Like, it is. Like even to somebody like that is that has a degree in this, right? And like they're a drug treatment therapist, but they've never been through it, but they've took every class and read every book and watched every show imaginable. I try to put myself in those shoes and there's no way me personally could grasp the concept of that, right? Right. But that is 100% the reality of the world that we live in yep. when we're choosing to do that. All four of us at one point were fully aware that whoever we were getting high with and 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 if it, it was for me, it was one to two guys that I rode with and got high with every single day, right? Yep. I fully accepted the fact that if I overdosed, everything I had was theirs and and they owed me nothing, right? Right. Well, and they probably thought the same thing. Sure. They're, they're, if they're the ones that overdose, yeah. They're like, yeah, they sure. probably did the same thing. Absolutely. But to get somebody that's never been there to grasp that. Is a challenge. Yeah. yeah. It's a real challenge. And they probably never will. And that's okay. You know, I mean, I I fully, I never expect anyone to understand they haven't been there. There's a lot of stuff I don't understand. Right. Me too. You know, about worlds I didn't live in, you know yeah. what I mean? And there's just way things operate. When you get into a new level of life, sometimes you got to learn how to, you know, where to put your silverware, like all these different things that you never, that make no sense to you, but you do it because that's where you're at. Right. <laughs> you know? But I think, I think we all understand it now. Right. But if we yeah. had two people in here that were actively using, I, I think they would argue the fact that that's not how it is between them. Right. Oh, um, definitely. But yeah, even the, sure. the people in the mix yeah. right now, and that that's who I was speaking on. Like right. you, we, you cannot like from us now outside looking in, we could not get them to understand that. No, I, I, I don't think they would grasp it. Right. They would, they no. would fight it tooth and nail. Well, but it's the reality. People even say like, when I'm like, dude, there's, there's fentanyl in your, in your per thirties. They're not real. They're like, oh my, my dealer wouldn't do that to me. I'm like, bro, your dealer doesn't care about you. bro. <laughs> <laughs> you just bought Christmas presents for your dealer's son. Yeah. He does not care. I mean, <laughs> Yep. It's, yeah, I don't know. Well, I think we're going to have to have you guys on for another episode because I think we could keep talking about this stuff for another yeah, few absolutely. hours, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely could. But before we close, you have anything else that you want to share? Uh, no, I don't know, man. Codyandjohn.com. So that's what I was going to ask. Is, if somebody wants to follow you on social media, if they want to reach out to you guys. On, you guys our, to speak. on our social medias, it's Cody and John Speak. Mm -hmm. Our website is codyandjohn.com. And we have uh, videos and stuff on. We've been, it's not just the students, the principals, administrators. Yeah. The, they are, yeah. the feedback has been phenomenal. So if you, and just Cody Knuckles or John Humphreys on our social medias. Give us a follow and you can see the stuff we're doing and messages on there. But there's our website's fully um, up and going. So I guess you can say it's kind of legit now. <laughs> yeah. And you it's got a, the blue check mark now? No, we never got the blue I check think you have mark. To pay for that. Not that legit, but it's legit. <laughs> I, just, I think coming. you have to pay for that because I see people with a blue check mark. I'm like, I don't even know who this is. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they bought that thing. You my, could for my, a while. My neighbor has a blue check mark. Yeah, exactly. Well, how does this even work? Congratulations on yeah. the blue check mark. <laughs> I don't think anyone cares whether you have a blue check mark or not. But no, I mean, but yeah, you guys, I mean, you guys are doing great work. We really appreciate it. I mean, I firmly believe, and I think Tommy does too, that prevention is probably part of our big part of the way out of this. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I mean, yeah. It's and it's tough to too. So I'm glad that there's real tough. people that you know we actually trust and want to work with that yeah. are yeah. out there working on that. So, yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us. I do think we'll have you back on sometime Absolutely. soon. So yeah, thanks for having thanks us. For having we us, appreciate guys. it. All right. And that's it.